we are going to go through Isaiah 49 simplified here. If you have not already listened to the section on 1 Nephi 22, Nephi's foundation for Isaiah and his commentary, you want to listen to that first because it will make a lot more sense. And you might even want to listen to the video on Isaiah 48. Um, But with that kind of background, let's jump into Isaiah 49. If you read Isaiah 49, you may think that the chapter is talking about Jesus Christ and you would be right. But there is actually another layer of understanding or interpretation to Isaiah 49, and that is that Isaiah 49 is about a servant of Jesus Christ, who we would submit is Joseph Smith. And you can learn more about that in the Isaiah 48 video. Um, But you may be pausing here like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Like Christ, but it's Joseph Smith too? How does that work? And you have to understand something called dual fulfillment. And this is something that's used a lot by Hebrew writers and Hebrew prophets. In other words, a prophecy can often be fulfilled multiple ways, multiple times. Every prophecy in scripture is about Jesus Christ, period, period. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. He is the light. But in our day, we come to know who Jesus Christ is through servants sent by Jesus Christ to help open that way and reveal him to us. And the primary voice in our day is Joseph Smith. There's a marvelous talk by Elder McConkie that I highly recommend called uh, Joseph Smith, a Revealer of Christ. And it goes into this concept from a doctrinal and scriptural perspective. But I'm just going to quote Joseph Fielding McConkie here for a moment. He explains this concept and he talks specifically about Isaiah 49. He says, quote, Isaiah 49, one of the suffering servant prophecies is also descriptive of Joseph Smith and his role as the great prophet of the Latter-day Restoration. It has traditionally been interpreted as a description of the life and ministry of Christ. It is a common thing for prophecies of the scriptures to have various levels of meaning and for them to be fulfilled again and again. All prophecies are fulfilled in Christ, and yet many have a dual meaning, such as apparently the case with the servant spoken of in Isaiah 49, end quote. So when we get into Isaiah 49, we're going to see this because Jesus Christ is talking a lot about this servant that he's sending, but the servant is so like him and so like uh, Jesus Christ in so many ways that sometimes we can confuse it and think, well, wait, is he talking about Jesus Christ or who's he talking about here? And the truth is both uh, because Joseph Smith is a type and a shadow to point us, to remind us when we see Joseph Smith, when we hear him, when we study his life, it should make us think and learn more about Jesus Christ. So Isaiah 49 begins this way. And we're going to be using the text from 1 Nephi 21 here. But he begins, quote, And again, hearken, O ye house of Israel, all ye that are broken off and are driven out because of the wickedness of the pastors of my people. We talked about this in our Simplifying Isaiah video with 1 Nephi 22 about the scattering of Israel and and the apostasy that they went through because of wickedness. And here in this verse, that wickedness happened because of corruption among their leaders, their religious leaders, wicked teachers. Yea, all ye that are broken off, that are scattered abroad, who are of my people, O house of Israel, 
right? So if you listened to the Simplifying Isaiah video that we did uh, going into 1 Nephi 22 uh, and Nephi's commentary and kind of setting that foundation for understanding Isaiah, you'll remember that everything that Isaiah is talking about, he's talking about Israel was scattered all over the world. She's spread out. She's forgotten who she is. So that is who the servant is talking to here. And he's going to continue. He says, listen, O isles unto me and hearken ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb and from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. So this is one of the ways that we know that the servant is speaking here in this passage and not necessarily Jesus Christ in first person because this speaker, this man is speaking of the Lord calling him from the womb. Now, of course, this could be Jesus Christ speaking of his father, right? His father called him from the womb. His father uh, prophesied of him. Uh, but it's also this Latter-day servant, the one who does the marvelous work and wonder in the last days, uh, who we would submit is Joseph Smith. So the Lord hath called me from the womb, he says, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me, end quote. So that was a lot of imagery there. If that felt like a brain overload, don't panic. Uh, we're going to walk through it. So let's go through that first identifier. He says that the Lord has called him from the womb. Before he's even born, the Lord has been prophesying and foretelling his coming. Now, who would this be in the last days other than Joseph Smith and his work? Joseph Smith said once, quote, the building up of Zion is a cause that has interested the people of God in every age. It is a theme upon which prophets, priests, and kings have dwelt with peculiar delight. They have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live. And fired with heavenly and joyful anticipations, they have sung and written and prophesied of this our day but they died without the sight. We are the favored people that God has made choice of to bring about the latter day glory. In other words, he's saying all of these prophets and priests and kings, all of them talked about Joseph Smith's mission and Joseph Smith's work to build up Zion in the last days. Um, in the Isaiah passage, it also talks about how the servant's mouth is made like a sharp sword. Now, again, what's the imagery of a sword? Well, if you look in scripture, a sword is often used to be a symbol of both the spirit of God, but specifically the word of the Lord. In Doctrine and Covenants, behold, I am God. Give heed unto my word, which is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, or in another passage in the Doctrine and Covenants where the Lord says, The voice of the Lord your God, whose word is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. End quote. Why would the sword be an imagery of the word of the Lord? Well, what does a sword do? It cuts through. It divides. It divides light from darkness. It overcomes adversaries and enemies. It conquers 
All of that is a beautiful uh, imagery of what the word of God, what the scriptures are meant to do in our day. They help us discern. They help us cut through the garbage. They help us. There's no gray area. Here's light. Here's dark. And they help us to overcome the attacks and the assaults of the adversary. The servant is also called a polished shaft. Now, what is a shaft? A shaft is um, a long pole, um, usually forming the body of different weapons. So think like the long part of an arrow or um, a lance. And Joseph Smith actually used this wording from Isaiah to identify himself. He actually used this wording and he said, this is me. I, I am the smooth and polished shaft of the Lord. And this comes from his statement um, where he calls himself a huge rough stone rolling, not to be confused with the really um, counterfeit or mockery of this term, which Richard Bushman used in his biography. And if you don't know much about Richard Bushman's biography, uh, rough stone rolling, the Joseph Smith Foundation has done a lot of work to debunk that progressive revisionist narrative attacking Joseph Smith's character. We have tons of resources on that on our website. So not to confuse that with Joseph Smith's true statement, but in Joseph Smith's original quote, he says, quote, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain, and the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suborned judges, and jurors and the authority of perjured executives, backed by mobs, blasphemers, licentious and corrupt men and women, all hell knocking off a corner here and a corner there. He's essentially saying, I am this stone that keeps getting polished because of all of this opposition and I'm trying to fight for the Lord. I'm fighting as a warrior of Jesus Christ to destroy all of this corruption and evilness around me. And thus, he says, I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty, who will give me dominion over all and every one of them. He says this process, this, this struggle and this war, he will end up being the conqueror and God will give him power and dominion over them. He says, when their refuge of lies shall fail and their hiding place shall be destroyed while these smooth, polished stones with which I come in contact become marred, end quote. So this is the power of word links, right? Isaiah says, this servant is a polished shaft. And then we read Joseph Smith and Joseph Smith says, that's me. I am the polished shaft. And this is what it means to be a polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Finally, Isaiah's passage mentions that the servant will be hidden. And if we go to Joseph Smith's 1835 patriarchal blessing, we will see that Joseph Smith is foretold to be a, quote, sure arrow in the bow of his God. Again, that imagery of a polished shaft, for he shall be hid under the shadow of his wing, end quote. This is the power of those blessings. If you haven't read those blessings, please check them out. So we go back to Isaiah um, in the servant is talking. He says that the Lord said unto him, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But the servant is lamenting because he says, God, you've given me this mission, this calling to restore Israel. And I feel like I'm failing. He says, I have labored in vain. 
I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Now, this could apply to both Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith. Jesus Christ comes the first time, right, in mortality, and he wants to gather Israel. He wants to save them from the Romans, but they don't want to listen to him. In fact, it is the Jews, his own people, who kill him. If you go to Joseph Smith's life, it's the same story. Joseph Smith wants to establish um, beautiful uh, temple ordinances and a Zion-like society in Kirtland. They're driven out. He wants to reestablish Zion in Missouri. Uh, But the people, the Lord says, are wicked. They're not ready in the Doctrine and Covenants. So they have to be chastised and they have to leave. Uh, Joseph Smith comes to Nauvoo. He wants to establish Zion there as well. But again, it fails. And he ends up being killed in Carthage. And what led to his martyrdom was actually the betrayal of men like William Law, William Marks, and other men who were actually leaders in the church, his own people, apostates, turned and betrayed him, leading to his death, his failure that first time. So just like Jesus Christ, the first time he comes, he fails. But if you go to Isaiah, he says, Now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb that I should be his servant to bring Jacob again to him. The Lord that gave him this calling says, Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength, end quote. In other words, you will eventually be able to accomplish this mission. Both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophet Joseph Smith were unable to fulfill their missions during their mortal lives. Each of them had a strong desire to gather Israel. They wanted to establish Zion. But sadly, each was rejected by his own and forsaken in sorrow. A key insight can be found in Isaiah. The text records the servant's inclination to mourn as a failure through inability to fulfill the given mission at first. Quote, And now, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. End quote. This can be applied to both the Son of God and the servant Joseph Smith. But mortality is not the end any more than patriarchal blessings must have fulfillment in this life. President Heber C. Kimball spoke of those men who will be responsible for laying out the inheritances in Zion. Quote, I am pretty sure of one thing. We shall go to Jackson County, Missouri. That is, those who do right and honor their callings, doing what they have been told to do. You will be blessed, and you will see the day when Presidents Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, and Daniel H. Wells, and the Twelve Apostles will be in Jackson County, Missouri, laying out your inheritances. In the flesh? Of course! We should look well without being in the flesh. We shall be there in the flesh, and all our enemies cannot prevent it. Brother Wells, you may write that. You will be there 
and Willard Richards will be there, and also Jedediah Grant, and Joseph and Hiram Smith, end quote. President Heber C. Kimball here prophetically teaches that as with patriarchal blessings, foreordained missions do not end with mortal life. Joseph and Hiram, raised from the dead in the resurrection with others of the Latter-day Brethren, will yet in the future meet in Jackson County, Missouri to lay out the inheritances of Ephraim as promised. As we continue with President Kimball's prophecy, notice that Joseph and Hiram, as well as others, will be leading the work among the Jews. Quote, The day will be when I will see those men, the aforementioned Latter-day Brethren, in the general assembly of the Church of the Firstborn, in the great council of God in Jerusalem too. I heard Joseph say twice that Brother Brigham and I should be in that council in Jerusalem, when there should be a uniting of the two divisions of God's government, end quote. President Kimball is here teaching that this uniting of the two kingdoms, the kingdoms of Ephraim and Judah, this uniting that was seen by the prophets in the Old and New Testaments, this uniting prophesied in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants as well as elsewhere, would include the prophet Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram, presumably as leaders, just like Jesus Christ will eventually accomplish what he set out to perform, Joseph Smith will be able to finish his own work. Isaiah continues, and he said, quote, so this is the servant saying Jesus Christ is speaking here. He says, it is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. In other words, Yes, servant. Yes, Joseph Smith, you have this mission to restore Israel, but that's not enough. Um, that's, that, that's important, but we're going to make you even greater. You are going to be a light to the entire nations of all of the earth, that salvation will be given to every single one of God's children. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in Lesson 7. In Lesson 7, we're going to go into Lehi's prophesying and, and speaking to his son Joseph about Joseph of Egypt and Joseph of Egypt's prophecies of Joseph Smith and his mission and, and the importance of light, light being the word of God. It's a symbol of the scriptures and revelation, truth, intelligence, and Joseph Smith's mission there. So if you go to Lesson 7 in the 4-Day series, you'll be able to learn more about that there. Um, but for now, we're just going to word link this concept of being a light to the Gentiles, this prophecy of the servant to Doctrine and Covenants 86, where Jesus Christ is speaking to Joseph Smith and some of the other brethren. And he tells Joseph Smith, you are a lawful heir according to the flesh. In other words, your lineage, Joseph Smith, if you do your ancestry back, you will find that you are a descendant of the royal house, the heirs of the house of Israel. He says, that is why the priesthood has been given to you, and it will stay with you until the restoration of all things. Therefore, blessed are ye if ye continue in my goodness, a light unto the Gentiles, and through this priesthood a Savior unto my people Israel. The Lord hath said it. Amen.
So many times when I hear people complain and say, Joseph Smith cannot be the servant in Isaiah, I just have one simple thought to share. Please study the Doctrine and Covenants. Please study the teachings of Joseph Smith. If you are familiar with those teachings, you will find that the Doctrine and Covenants and Joseph Smith's own teachings bear undeniable testimony through the own the very words, quoting the very words that Joseph Smith is the servant in Isaiah and he is the servant called to perform the marvelous work and a wonder. Right here in Doctrine and Covenants 86, the Lord is literally quoting Isaiah and he's telling Joseph Smith, this is your blessing. This is your mission. Back to Isaiah 49, um, the Lord is speaking, thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nations abhorreth, to servant of rulers, right? This, the servant that he sent, Joseph Smith, he says, people are going to hate you. They're not going to like you, but the day will come when kings shall see and rise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful. Go to Joseph Smith's blessing and we find that this is prophesied again to Joseph Smith in his blessing. It says his fame shall be sounded in foreign lands, even to the ends of the earth, as well as nigh at home. For in this, the times shall change. A prophet shall have honor in his own country, right? Instead of Joseph Smith being a hiss and a byword, he will be respected. His learning and wisdom shall astonish the great. For they shall acknowledge that by his intelligence, he has far surpassed their learning and their science. In palaces of governors, rulers, and kings shall he be honored, even in his person. For God shall give him power to prevail, end quote. Back to Isaiah and the prophecies about the servant, it says, thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, O isles of the sea, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. I will preserve thee. I will give thee my servant for a covenant of the people, right? So the Lord is saying, Israel, don't lose hope. I know you have been rebellious. I know you have rejected my covenants, but I am going to give you my servant to fulfill this covenant to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. What did Joseph Smith do in his life? Think about what he did. He brought back temple ordinances. He brought back the baptisms for the dead. He taught about who God really was, the true nature of the Godhead. He taught about the mission of Zion. He identified the physical locations for Zion in the New Jerusalem. He helped us understand who Abraham really was, who Enoch really was. He is the servant to restore that covenant. Back to Isaiah. We're going to go quickly here. Um, Isaiah goes into a lot of poetry about how when these covenants are restored by the servant, when Joseph Smith is able to restore this knowledge and this doctrine and people listen to him and turn to him and obey these teachings, they won't hunger anymore. They won't thirst. There will be springs of water. Uh, the highways will be exalted. It says, sing, O heavens, be joyful, break into singing. Uh, the Lord now has mercy. We will be comforted as a people. There will be so much joy and hope and no more suffering. Um, one key is you're trying to dissect this poetry in Isaiah is that mountains are often symbolic of nations. So when you see mountains mentioned, that's usually 
talking about a country or a nation. Um, and then trees are often people. That's that's another thing that can just help when you're when he's talking about cedars and different trees and you're thinking, what is he talking about? Um, he's using trees as symbolic of people and mountains are often nations. And then continuing with 1 Nephi 21 or Isaiah, uh, he says the day is going to come when Zion says, Lord's forsaken me. Things are too hard. Things are too miserable. God's forgotten me. But he says, the Lord will show them he has not forgotten them. He says, I can't forget you. I literally have graven upon the palms of my hands the sacrifices that I made. Mothers can forget their children, but the Lord will not forget his people. And when we turn back to these covenants, when we turn back to what Joseph Smith was trying to restore, he says, I will clothe you. You'll be like a bride, a beautiful ornament. He says, your waste places will just be filled with children, inhabitants. This beautiful Zion millennium will be established. He says, there will be so many children of Israel coming and joining together that you'll look around and at one point you'll have thought, Israel's dead. Israel's not coming back. And yet he says, you're going to be looking around saying, who's given me all of these children? I, I lost my children. I was desolate. I was a captive. But who has given me these children? I was left alone. Where, where did they come from? Think about it. Before Joseph Smith came, everyone thought Israel was dead. They didn't even know Israel was alive. They thought those covenants were over and it looked like they were. And yet, Joseph Smith came and said, actually, they're just hidden. Let me tell you who you are. Let me restore this identity. This is the point of restoration. When we say the restoration, we're talking about restoring. Restoring what? Restoring Israel. Restoring a nation back again. This is a literal nation, a literal place, a literal country, a literal people and culture. And the Lord says, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. Again, what did Nephi tell us this passage means? Who are these nursing fathers? Who, what does it mean to be nourished by the Gentiles? Well, if you remember in 1 Nephi 22, Nephi was clear. He said, the meaning of this is that the Lord is going to do the marvelous work among the Gentiles. He's going to restore the covenants. He's going to bring about the restoration of the gospel. And the reason why I think this verse refers to kings and queens is because if you actually study the genealogy of Joseph Smith, Heber C. Kimball, Brigham Young, Eliza R. Snow, you discover that they were literally of the house of David. Uh, they weren't just of the royal house of Ephraim or Joseph, but they were also of the royal house of Judah. They were literally the kings and queens of Israel. They didn't look like it on the outside. They were definitely hidden. Their lineage was definitely concealed, but they were the true heirs, just like Doctrine and Covenants section 86 said. Now, centuries later, there was a little boy. And this little boy was born in a small, insignificant farmhouse in Sharon, Vermont. This little boy was unnoticed by the world. He was belittled and even persecuted by many men and women who considered themselves his superiors. 
There were very few, if any, who realized that the little boy carried within him the blood of prophets, the blood of priests and kings, but the Lord had not forgotten him. President Brigham Young explained that the Lord had his eye on Joseph Smith. He had his eye on his ancestors from the very beginning of the world. The Lord had his eye upon Joseph Smith and upon his father and upon his father's father and upon their progenitors clear back to Abraham and from Abraham to the flood, from the flood to Enoch and from Enoch to Adam. He has watched that family and that blood as it is circulated from its fountain to the birth of that man. President Brigham Young. All the ancient prophets prophesied that a great ruler would come forth of Israel in the last days. This ruler would be the rightful heir to the throne, both from the house of Judah and from the house of Joseph. This ruler would find Israel in a degenerate state and he would restore and redeem his people. William Clayton records in his journal that on April 11, 1844, at a meeting of the Council of Fifty, Joseph Smith was chosen as the prophet, priest, and king by Hosannas. Joseph Smith ordained the council to be the governing body of the world with himself as its king. A revelation given to President John Taylor on June 27, 1882 stated, God called Joseph Smith Jr. to be a prophet, a seer, a revelator to my church and kingdom and to be a king and ruler over Israel. It is important to understand that Joseph Smith was re-establishing Israel in the latter day. When the hymn says, restoring their judges and all as at first, this is a very literal, temporal prophecy, if you will. To appreciate the Council of Fifty, we need to understand and appreciate its constitution or its mission statement. Thus saith the Lord God, who rules in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. I have introduced my kingdom and my government even the kingdom of God, that my servants have heretofore prophesied of, that I taught my disciples to pray for, saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the protection of my church and for the maintenance, promulgation, and protection of civil and religious liberties in this nation and throughout the world. And all men of every nation, color, and creed shall yet be protected and shielded thereby and every nation and kindred and people and tongue shall yet bow the knee to me and acknowledge me to be among Christ to the glory of God the Father. The church just recently released the Council of 50 Minutes, making it possible for anyone to go and buy this book on Amazon or wherever and read through the history. These minutes are a fascinating glimpse into Joseph Smith's unparalleled understanding of the kingdom of God on earth. The primary mission of the Council of Fifty was to establish a theocracy, a political kingdom of God on earth in preparation for the millennial reign of Christ's second coming. 
During the destructive events leading up to the second coming, there needed to be a political structure that would survive and serve as the foundation for the establishment of Christ's millennial reign. So if we return to this chapter in Isaiah, it talks about how the wicked, the, the oppressors of Israel will bow down to them eventually. They will lick up the dust of their feet. For thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. And the Lord continues, he says, for shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captives delivered? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered, right? He's saying, it may look like an impossible foe. It may look like we'll never be able to overcome this opposition, and yet I will destroy your oppressors. He says, I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh. They shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. End quote. Essentially, we're discovering here, God is going to fight for Israel. All we have to do is turn our hearts back. All we have to do is keep this covenant and God will come through on his end as well. And that's it. That's the end of this chapter of Isaiah. That is the end of the portion that Nephi quotes of Isaiah in 1 Nephi. That is really the foundation of Isaiah. This is the narrative. This is the story. You have it now. If you actually go into the rest of the chapters in Isaiah, we'll be going into those in 2 Nephi, or if you go into the actual book of Isaiah itself, it is a lot more details. Isaiah is just more details. Um, he's sometimes a little more blunt on our wickedness today or calling out warnings to watch out for. He's not exactly politically correct. Um, but he just gives more details. And those details are important. They help us clarify and understand, okay, what are we supposed to be doing? What does this look like? How do we prepare? But the story is just the same. The other thing to keep in mind with Isaiah is that Isaiah's language is imagery and symbolism. He's very poetic. So you can't get overwhelmed by that. You just have to break it down and say, okay, what is the symbolism of this cedar tree? What is the symbolism of um, this type of animal or this act of warfare? Um, and if you understand the story, if you understand, okay, who is Israel? Who is Israel today? Where is Israel? What are the covenants? Uh, you'll be able to pick it up pretty quick. In 2 Nephi, he says, if you have the spirit of prophecy, Isaiah will be plain. One of the greatest lies of the adversary today is that we can't understand Isaiah. You can understand Isaiah. Remember, God always speaks in clarity and simplicity. But the adversary wants to separate us from our fathers. He wants to separate us from our bloodline, from our covenant. And if we will remember who we are, if we remember the royal lineage of which we are a part, we will be able to understand the times that we live in, become better prepared, and be able to build a better future for our children and our posterity. We are Israel. This is our story. And we will have our covenants restored again. <laughs>